Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. I want to read to you Psalm 51, and then we're going to turn to John 8. So if you want to turn to John 8, you can do that. Uh, but I'm going to read out of Psalm 51. And uh, I want to just be honest with you. Psalm 51 was not part of this message until about uh, a day ago, two days ago. And then beyond that, the context of Psalm 51 tied perfectly into what we're going to speak about in John chapter 8. So God is up to something. He does do things the way he wants to do things. So Psalm 51, verse 10, and then verse 12. We're skipping verse 11. It's not as important. Uh, Psalm 51, verse 10. I'm back, y'all. I'm back. All the sarcasm is off the camera into live person. All right. Create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. The emphasis here in creating is a new thing. It is to create something new. Create in me a clean, pure heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Verse 12 says, restore, restore, bring back, make fresh, make new to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation salvation and make me willing to obey you now this is David David has just come out of a season where he got caught up in something he wasn't supposed to be caught up in if you know the story of David uh, David is one who was called uh, to be one of those after God's own heart a man after God God's own heart and yet you hear David here saying give me a clean heart I love the way God looks at us and the way we look at ourselves And David has been caught because he uh, had had an affair, been caught in adultery, and for months had been kind of carrying this secret, had actually sent uh, the husband of the woman he had had an affair with into battle so that he would die, put him on the front lines. And the prophet comes up to David and says, you, hey, this, not a good deal. And on top of that, it's not a good deal that you've actually been carrying this thing in your life for a season. You, you are actually visibly, we can tell that you are carrying something that you should not be carrying. You have not been honest with yourself, much less anyone around you, and of course God. Now God knows, but, but the, you know, usually the, the, the issues that we have in our life come out of the fact that we're not being honest, not that God doesn't know. My grandfather used to say prayerlessness is a form of hiding. It's our way of staying just far enough away from the Lord that we don't have to deal with the things he wants us to work through. Good, bad, and different. And so David is in this place where he's realizing and recognizing through the prophet that, hey, I need to get some things right. And I think that's what we have to understand. When, when God shows up, when the Holy Spirit shows up, you ever had one of these moments where the Holy Spirit shows up and goes, uh, yeah, that's not going to work. Hey, you, you probably need to shift that, change that, and Hey, you probably need to adjust that. How many of us sometimes feel this level of condemnation? We, we kind of go, oh, what a terrible person. That's not really the point of the prophet, and it's not really the point of the Holy Spirit. The point of the prophet is to go, hey, this isn't going to work, and you're going to continue to carry this thing until you're willing to release it. You're going to continue to carry this thing until you're willing to put it in front of a holy God and say, God, I need you to do something about this. How about this for a heavy message right before, you know, hey, welcome home, y'all. 
But we're in this healing and forgiveness pattern. It makes sense to talk through something like this. And David is in this place where he's desperate. He's saying, God, renew in me a clean heart. Renew in me a loyal spirit. Renew in me the joy of your salvation. Now, what he's not saying is he's not saying restore my salvation. That's a whole other conversation that so many of you guys, we could talk about salvation and restoring it, losing it and gaining and all that fun stuff that some of you love to run into rabbit trails with. But what he's saying is restore the joy of my salvation. Restore the joy of your saving grace. Restore the joy of what you've done in me. Restore the joy of the saving grace you have given me. So here's David looking at the Lord, knowing that he's failed, knowing that he's got a lot of things that he's dealt with, knowing that he's, he's got this thing happening in his life, and he's got to be honest about it. He's got to be forthright about it. He's got to bring it before the Lord. And he's crying out to the Lord, God, restore the joy. And I don't know, I felt like as we were coming out of five months of not being together and not gathering, and here we are in this healing and forgiveness pattern, that, that maybe for some of us, our salvation is intact. But what we're struggling with is the joy of it. We're struggling with the joy that should come from knowing that Jesus has grace. The joy that should come from his pouring out of forgiveness to people. The joy that should come from his willingness to look past all the things that have been done and remind us of what can be done. Restore the joy of our salvation. And What David's doing here is this word confession. For some of us, maybe that's a traditional word. Maybe that's a word that's used in other denominations. But this idea of confession, John Mark Homer says that the habitual, regular, rhythmic practice of confession is key to the life of the soul. Our willingness to come before God and continually express, hey, God, here's where I'm struggling. God, here's where I'm frustrated. Hey, God, here's where I messed up. Hey, God, it is not so that we might feel worse or that we might feel beat down, but that we might actually feel like we've been picked up because God goes, I know, and I'm with you in it. I understand. See, our reason for not coming before the Lord is usually more a a testimony to our view of who God is. Usually our unwillingness to bring him our frustrations or struggles or sins or difficulties is more how we view him and maybe how we've been taught him and what we think God is going to do if we bring sin before him, even though he's the one who died for it. We tend to think that if we bring to him our our struggles, we we bring to him our disloyalties, we bring to him our sins, that somehow he's not going to be able to handle it. He's going to be like Meredith seeing a spider in our house and run from it. But that's not what happens. When, When he sees a spider, he does what I do, walk over there very bravely with a shoe, hit it and run, make sure it's dead. But God doesn't look at the things we bring him as though he can't handle it, as though he doesn't know it exists, as though he doesn't understand that it's, a, 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 that it's not what we want. He actually looks at it and goes, okay, let's walk this thing out together. And we see this in Jesus. Jesus is the greatest testimony to who God is ever. When we look at Jesus, we see God. When we look at Jesus, his love for people, we see God's love for people. When we see Jesus sacrifice for people, we see God's sacrifice for people. When we see Jesus and his tenderness and his compassion, and when we see Jesus and his courage and his boldness, we see the God who created us. And so when we look at what Jesus does in scenarios like this, we know that this gives us a picture of what Jesus does with us. 
when we come before him like David and say, God, I need you to restore the joy of your salvation. Because remember, it's not our salvation. It's his salvation. It is not us that works our salvation. It is him that bestows us his salvation. John chapter 8. You guys with me? John chapter 8, verse 2. You guys, because you guys, I know you guys have been opening up your Bible Sunday mornings on video because everybody can see you and you know that it's good to open your Bibles on your couch. John chapter 8, verse 2. It says, At dawn he went to the temple complex again, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Isn't that what sin and condemnation tries to do? Which tries to put you right in the middle of the crowd and say, wouldn't you look at that? Would you look at all the things that you've done wrong, that you've done poorly, that you have rebelled? Look at, just look at this person. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what to do? What do you say? What do you want us to do about it? They asked him this to trap him. That's what condemnation does. That's what sin tries to do. They asked him this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. They're using her to accuse him. They're trying to get to uh, who he is. Or, hey, are you going to uphold the law or are you going to reject the law? What, what are you going to do? Are you going to have compassion? Are you not going to have compassion? Because whatever you do, we're going to catch you on it. We're going to find a way to condemn you. We're going to find a way to turn from you. And Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. Now, there's been all kinds of guesses and and some commentators say this and say that as to what he's writing. He's, some say he's writing the sins of everyone around him. Some say he's writing certain scriptures. Some say he's just doodling. Some say they, they don't know. I, I'm, I'm one to say that he's just biding time. I, I think sometimes what we struggle with is the space between. We, we, we struggle with those places where you have been brought before God and there's something on your heart, there's something you're struggling with, there's something you feel unforgiven for, there's something that you feel isn't right, and there's that space, that moment in between, and Jesus leans down. I think this is much more about him getting close to her than about what he's writing in the dirt. I think this is much more about him leaning close, walking into the center of the room and the space, leaning down next to this woman who's been caught in adultery and getting on the ground next to her and just saying to her with his action, with what he does, with his body, that, hey, I am in this with you. you, you I, it doesn't matter what I'm writing on the ground right now. Did you like that? It, I think it's a nice heart. I love you. I, it doesn't matter what I'm writing on the ground. What matters is I'm close and I'm near. And whatever these people have to say about you and whatever they want to do to you, it does not matter as much as much that I am close to you in this space with you. I am kneeling close to you. And then he says to them when they persisted in questioning him, and that's why I think it doesn't really matter what he was writing. If they knew what he was writing, then they wouldn't keep questioning him. They would have started getting mad at what he was writing. It doesn't matter what he was writing. He could have just been messing up the sand. What mattered is that he was stopping and making them think about what they were doing to this woman. 
They were, they were having to deal with the idea that they were saying something difficult, saying something about con- condemning her. And, and Jesus looks at him and asks him a question. He says, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. The first one, I want, I want, whoever, whoever here has not screwed up, messed up, done something you shouldn't have done, I want the first person, whoever feels like they're that person, whoever has not sinned, I want you to be the first one. I, 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 I tell you what, sometimes we are all too quick to find someone to accuse, to find someone to lash out at, to find someone who maybe have misstepped or said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing. And, and our posture as people, we, oh man, do you know what the law says? Yeah, hey, this isn't supposed to happen. You're not supposed to do this. And our first step is to pick up our stone and to gather some things around and put it in the middle of the room and go, okay, now I want to make sure I make an example of you. And Jesus is not trying to make an example of your sin. He's trying to make an example of what? His grace. That Jesus is big enough to get close to the woman. And he stands up and he says, the first person that has no sin, the one among you has never sinned, I want you to throw the stone. And then he stooped down again and continued to write on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men, only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? He says, No, no one. He looks at her and he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. There's there's a lot here. We could spend a lot of time on just this one thing because it leads to a lot of other places, but Jesus stoops down. I, I wonder what this woman is thinking. Like, I'm really curious. Here she is being caught in adultery. She knows what the law says. Who knows if it's even a true accusation, but she knows that this could be the end for her. She knows, and this is something that, that we think is old and done, but in, in other countries around the world, this kind of stuff still happens because the law never produces life. Jesus tells us that. The law is only there to remind us that it can't produce life. That you need something else to create life in you. You need something else to breathe breath in your lungs. It might give you shape as to what life might look like, but what you need is the Holy Spirit in you to live this thing out. And I just wonder what she's thinking as Jesus, and she's wondering, maybe she's coming to Jesus and going, okay, he's a rabbi, he, he, I know he's compassionate, but they're right. He, I've, been, I've been doing some things I shouldn't do, and... And maybe he's going to say, yeah, you're right. I, I got to uphold the law here. I got to. And here she is. I'm sure her head's down. She's afraid for her life. And Jesus is looking around going, I want the first one. And what is he doing when he asks this question? What is he doing when he says to them, hey, the first person, whoever has not sinned, be the first person. What is he doing in that moment? He's taking all the, ac- the accusers and reminding them they could also be accused. In many ways, what he's saying is, hey, we are all in the same place. We are all sinners in need of grace. We are all people who need this gift that Jesus gives 
to us. We all, every single one of us, no matter who you are, and in this cultural climate and everything that we're dealing with, everything we're working through, everything that we're striving for as people, what we have to remember as people is that all of us, every single one of us, needs to understand that we are in need of the good grace of Jesus. We are more in need now of people who are going to get down in the dirt and begin to write and begin to look and say, hey, I know this is challenging. I understand you feel like everything's over, but this is not going to end here. It's not going to end here. That's not how this works. That's not how I, I didn't come here to proclaim more of the law. I came here to proclaim the good news of Jesus. I came here to fulfill the law so that you might live in the grace of of God. That's what I came for. And these people might have something against you, but I've got something greater for you. Right? They might have something that they could say, well, you did this and you did that. No, 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 no. That, is, that will not be the church. The church will not pick up their stones. The church will kneel down and write in the sand next to those who feel condemned, next to those who feel broken, next to those who feel like hurt, next to those who feel less than, next to those who have made to feel like they are the scum of the earth, that somehow they don't matter as much, or somehow they, no, 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 the church is going to lean in and go, no, you need to understand, the kingdom is about you standing up again. And Jesus looks at the woman and says, hey, uh, has anyone else, has anyone, has anyone condemned you? Now, what we, what we know is that she knew that no one had, I, not because she had looked up and watched them walk away, but because she had not felt a single stone hit her body. And I know that's a graphic, difficult picture, but I want you to understand something. Sometimes we are so good, even against ourselves, about throwing blows at ourselves. We are sometimes so good at standing around ourselves and going, I can't believe it. I can't, how dare I? How, what a terrible person. What a, Jesus is kneeling in the sand and saying, hey, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but his good grace towards us says, stand up. Go and sin no more. Now, some of us hear that phrase, Jesus says, go and sin no more, and we start to think, that's heavy. That's almost more heavy. Than, I, mean, did you, I mean, I'm here because I sinned, and now you're telling me to go and sin no more. And I don't want to take the weight off that statement. Jesus is not trying to be like patty cake about it and go, hey, you, you'll do great. That's not necessarily what he's trying to do here, so I'm not trying to take the holiness in some ways off of what he's saying. But what I am telling you is that what he's believing about her is far different than what she believed her, about herself five seconds earlier. Jesus looks at her and goes, does anyone condemn you? And she goes, no. And he says, neither do I. All of this was to emphasize that Jesus would not condemn her either. I want you to stand up and go and sin no more because I do not condemn you. And I wonder if this woman, a Jewish woman who had known the stories of the Messiah, known the stories of God, heard the stories of her people all up until this point, and the worship team can come on back now and behind that door over there. And, and I'm sure she understood all the challenges and the heaviness and the weight of everything that was being said and done. And what Jesus does in this moment is not just forgive her of her past, but he gives her a better view of her future. What we need right now as the church 
is to go, okay, let's forgive and live free. Let's move into this place where we are saying, hey, I will not condemn you either. The world might be condemning you. I will not condemn you. The world may be ready to hurt you and cause you pain, but I will not participate. And if anything, I'm going to stand here next to you. If they throw a stone at you, they're throwing a stone at me. If they throw something at you, it's going to hit me. I'm not leaving you here by yourself. How many of you can imagine on the way to the center of that circle, that woman may have for a moment lost the joy of her salvation? For a moment, she may have condemned herself. For a moment, she may have thought, this is over, it's done, it's finished. She may have actually thought, I am, I am not happy about this law that God had supposedly given to us, and I don't like it anymore, and I'm not sure I ever believed it in the first place. I'm not even sure it's real. I'm not even sure it's a good thing. And then, I don't know how long it took, I mean, they had to keep asking and keep, keep asking him just to get him to reply. But over the course of a few minutes, Jesus reminds her that everyone needs who he is. And then reminds her, I do not condemn you. So I think the key about living in forgiveness is to be receiving forgiveness to its fullest extent. To understand that Jesus on the cross day with that young woman and Psalm 51 with David even with the man who was lowered down in front of him, the leper with uh, the woman who was known as a sinner that we see in Luke when she comes and washes his feet I mean, you see it over and over and over and everything Jesus is doing in these moments is proclaiming a kingdom saying this is the kingdom the kingdom of God is a kingdom that lives and breathes in forgiveness. That lives and breathes in the poured out blood of Jesus. The kingdom that lives on the oxygen of the soul that says, I'm releasing the things that should not be, and I'm breathing in the things that should. I'm letting go of the things that should no longer be present in my life, and I'm taking in the air, the oxygen of God's grace in my life. I just wonder if we can really see the picture of Jesus leaning down next to a woman who is about to be stoned, writing on the ground as though nothing else is going on, saying to them, I don't condemn you. You're forgiven. And I wonder how many of us right now need to stand up like this woman, need to stand up like the lame man in Mark chapter 2, need to stand up like the woman, the sinning woman caught in, in Luke, need to stand up like so many others that Jesus encountered, stand up in the joy of our salvation because you are not condemned. The only way we're going to walk out of this building and into the earth and into our neighborhoods and onto our streets and, and bring the forgiveness that God wants us to bring is if we have received the forgiveness that he's already brought. And it's not always easy to remember that. That's why confession is good for your soul. It's why when you wake up in the morning, go, God, I love you. Thank you for forgiving me. When you go to bed at night, Lord, I don't know if you saw that day. That was not one of my best ones. But I breathe in your grace. And I breathe out the condemnation that tries to come. Say who I am. No, 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 I'm, I'm who Jesus says I am. I do not condemn you. 
And because I do not condemn you, you don't get to stay there anymore. I do not condemn you, so you don't need to kneel down before these men anymore. I do not condemn you. You don't need to keep your head down. You need to lift your eyes up. I do not condemn you. You need to stand up. I do not condemn you. You need to look out and realize that God has made you with purpose. I do not condemn you. Go out and live the life I've created you for. I've made you new. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Here's what we want to do. We're going to just take a second. I want you to bow your heads really quickly. And here's what I want to ask. And we can't come forward at this point in this season. But if you just go, man, that's me today. I need prayer. I need healing. I need forgiveness. I need to stand up. I have been maybe the last couple months, maybe the last couple years, I have been like the woman standing in the middle of the circle, and everyone's gone. Jesus has dealt with the condemnation, and I have yet to stand up again. And I, like David in Psalm 51, am saying, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I cannot work this out on my own. I cannot figure this out by myself, but restore to me the joy of your salvation. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's you online. If you're online, I want you to just right now, wherever you are, I want you to lift your hands to heaven. And if that's you in this room and you're saying, restore to me the joy of your salvation, God. I want to walk out of here knowing the things I'm dealing with, knowing the frustrations that I have, knowing the sins that I struggle with, knowing the anger I have towards people. And I want to walk out of here with a smile on my face and a fullness in my heart. I want to walk out of this place strong, courageous, knowing that I can go and sin no more. Because where condemnation tries to rest, his righteousness rescues us. And his righteousness tells us to stand. If that's you, would you just right now in this place, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Anybody in this room that says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Thank you. Just lift it so I can see it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else, real quick. Thank you so much. Come on. We're going to pray over them. And then we're going to worship. And here's what I want you to do when we worship. I want you to reflect. I want you to praise. I want you to pray. I want you to do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do in this moment. For some of you, you might need to just think more and more. You might just need to meditate on what has been said this morning. And do that. I want you to trust the Holy Spirit where he takes you in the next few minutes. God, I pray over every person who has their hand raised in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would restore the joy of their salvation. God, restore the joy of your salvation to them. God, I pray if they feel like they're in the middle of the circle and there's condemnation always, someone's always trying to tell them that they are or they will or they've been. God, I thank you that you're kneeling beside them. The Holy Spirit, you are with them and you are saying, stand up. I do not condemn you. You are free. You are released. I will restore the joy of my salvation to you. I do give you a clean heart. I will help you to obey. I will make new in your life. God, I pray that we're honest with you because you are not scared of the things we have. You are ready to heal us of the things that we have. So I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, in every heart, in every life. God, I pray right now, I just sense that the Holy Spirit wants to bring a real new sense of freedom in your life. That you are free in Jesus' name. Did you hear me? You are free in Jesus' name. There may be some working that out. There may be some things you're going to work through with that, but you are free. You need to go through the working because you already know that God has worked. You need to know he has set you free in Jesus' name. Come on, live in the freedom of his forgiveness towards you. He's, he's kneeling down next to you, and he's lifting you up with him, and he's saying, go, go, 
In Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship.